0: Hi, I'm Ryan McClure.
1: And I'm Justin
0: Zyduck. And welcome to Indefensible Inc., the podcast where we take a closer look at some notoriously and allegedly terrible comics and comic runs. Today, we're going to take a look
1: at uh, Batman Odyssey Volume 2, written and drawn by legendary artist Neil Adams. Uh, last episode, we started with Volume 1 of this run. It's a story that exists outside of the regular published continuity of Batman. Um, so this story is allowed to Uh, is designed to allow Neil Adams, one of the most influential creators to work on Batman ever, to tell what um, I'm sure he considered his magnum opus on the subject of Batman without worrying about the greater canon of the character. So Volume 2 consists of seven issues that we're going to cover today that were published um, in 2011 and 2012. So um, to bring you up to speed, we will try to summarize Part 1. Uh, Batman Odyssey is a story of bizarre twists and narrative detours and dead ends. So hopefully, even if you listened to the last episode, this will be helpful to try to get a handle on what actually happened.
0: I think this will probably help me out too, just to get a grasp <laughs> on what happened.
1: Uh, it's, it's difficult to concisely summarize the narrative um, in sequence, so um, I'm just going to hit the overarching plot. So international supervillain Ra's al Ghul is locked in a power struggle with his son, the elderly martial arts master known as the Sensei. Roz recruits Batman into this war, telling him that the Sensei is by far the more ruthless and dangerous of the two. Roz insists the only way to stop the Sensei will be to kill him, which Batman's code against killing forbids him to do. To this end, Roz has engineered a complicated scenario in Gotham City involving a criminal hired to assassinate a child in front of Batman, which was intended to drive Batman wild with rage and finally spur him to intentionally kill a criminal. Um, This plan almost succeeds, and Batman savagely beats the criminal, which leaves Robin shaken and disturbed. But at the last second, he pulls back because Batman is incapable of murder fundamentally in his character. Um, At the first volume's end, the sensei has apparently kidnapped Talia, who is Ra's al Ghul's daughter, uh, the sensei's sister, and a longtime love interest of Batman and Batman vows to stop the sensei and find her. Um, Some other interesting tidbits that we learn along the way in the story include that uh, apparently Ra's al Ghul and Batman's father, Thomas Wayne, apparently knew each other um, from way back, and it's suggested that they intended Talia and Bruce to marry from a young age. Arkham Asylum, which uh, you know as... where Batman's most dangerous enemies are jailed, has been secretly run by the sensei this whole time, or I guess this whole time, and villains are periodically allowed to escape Arkham and run wild in Gotham in an attempt to distract Batman from other more serious global threats. Uh, The story features Deadman, a DC character who is a murdered circus acrobat who is now a ghost capable of possessing the living. He reveals that his murder was an initiation into the League of Assassins for his murderer and moreover that Robin's circus acrobat parents were also murdered for the same reason. Um, most bewilderingly, I think, a Neanderthal Batman named Jamroth Bach shows up with an evolved dinosaur boy sidekick named Primus. Um, as crazy as all of this sounds, I think I can honestly say it gets even stranger from here on out, and we would love to share this with you.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, <laughs> so why don't we dive into... Batman Odyssey, Volume 2, Issue 1. So again, we start with Bruce Wayne in the Batcave, summarizing what's happened so far at length to some unknown listener um, who will be revealed as the series goes on. And he recounts the sensei using his... Or I guess maybe he's not uh, recounting this, but we see the sensei using kind of semi-mystical powers or powers of suggestion to break out some Arkham inmates act as his henchmen. Then we cut to Batman and the Neanderthal Batman Jamroth Bach flying around on giant bats fighting some Mad Max style people, riding around on T-Rexes, all in some prehistoric type environment. If you know anything about the X-Men comics and you've you're familiar with the Savage Land? It's pretty much that that trope of the long hidden prehistoric environment, where there's dinosaurs and cavemen and all that stuff. So Batman tries to take over a T-Rex, and then he gets flipped off the T-Rex's back and hurts himself. Then we flash back to Bruce Wayne, Jim Roth, and Primus and Wayne Manor talking with Ra's al Ghul. Batman explains that he and Jamroth are going to the underworld to rescue Talia and Jamroth's quote, woman, T- Tatsinda, who are presumed kidnapped by the sensei's goons. And so Raz al and Robin both want to go with them, but Batman shuts them both down. And Batman finds out they're basically, uh, by the end of the episode, they're basically in a hollow earth and that the gravity is lighter and they, so the The issue ends with them arriving in the underworld. So let's start with uh, the cover as, uh, as we often do. Um, I think it's a pretty excellent way to kick off the second half of the second volume of this story.
1: Slightly misleading, I guess with the Joker on it, but
0: yeah, that's, that's true. But yeah, it is
1: a, it is a pretty, pretty wild cover.
0: Yeah. So we've got, We've got Batman, Deadman, uh, Joker randomly, and just a swarm of bats charging into a cave, which I think is just pretty – it's something that would get me to pick up this book just out of sheer curiosity alone.
1: Um, We talked about this last time, but the issue starts out – or every issue starts out with a shirtless or – I guess he's – as the series goes on, he becomes increasingly dressed in this soil, <laughs> but uh, it has a shirtless or nearly shirtless Bruce Wayne narrating the events directly to what seems to be you, the reader. And I legitimately love that this issue talks with about him trying to convince the unseen um, interviewer about this coffee machine that he loves because it's you know as I talked about last time it's this kind of interesting idea of a Bruce Wayne that you don't often see that once you get beyond the dark night kind of persona he's kind of like a know-it-all guy who's like oh yeah I know everything I'm like I know the very best coffee machine that you can possibly buy let me hook you up with one it's amazing and later in another issue he's talking about these vitamin c pills that you have to take um, this it's, it's an interesting take on, on Bruce Wayne as basically the guy who knows everything. So he's going to share it with you yeah. whether you want him to or not.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it as we find out who the, the listener is, which will, I don't know we can, I don't know if we should spoiler it now, but <laughs> it makes sense as you go along in terms of how he's so just kind of open and conversational with this person in ways that he wouldn't necessarily be with others. If that's not too cryptic, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I like that uh, that take on him.
1: And that um, that opening scene with the sensei breaking those guys or convincing those guys to break themselves out of prison, I had trouble following that because he, if the sensei runs Arkham, can't he just open the doors? I'm really not. I'm really not sure. Like what was real in that and what was not.
0: I think even just I didn't know if those. So one of the henchmen kills the others. It's that kind of scene from The Dark Knight where the Joker has them fight amongst themselves to figure out who's going to join his crew. And then do we even really see that guy?
1: Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that. I was sort of like paging through and I don't – maybe he's somebody who's drawn like that is in there, but like that guy is not really a character that becomes important. He just becomes, you know, goon number 1203 because the sensei has – a million guys in the underworld working for him.
0: Right. Yeah. So it's given this big, I think it's, it works to demonstrate the sensei's powers, but I, again, I'm not sure what his powers are. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: Yeah. He's, I mean, he seems to have all this sort of um, old fashioned sort of inscrutable martial arts powers. Like he can mess with your mind and he can like slow down time. Later on, we see that he sort of grows gigantic, but maybe that's an illusion
0: and then and also the inmates they they get broken out by like these insects that look like a cross between mosquitoes and bees, but they keep calling them like the the inmates say that they're worm things or worms with wings, so it just seemed like a weird disconnect between what we see on the page and the in the dialogue,
1: yeah, you wouldn't think. There's a couple of those that I've noticed, and you wouldn't think you would have a disconnect considering that the artist is also the writer. Yeah. But there, yeah, there are definitely things where I'm thinking, like, did he look at what he drew himself? <laughs>
0: when... So then we get the discussion of the women. <laughs> uh, so Batman keeps referring to Talia and Jamroth's, I guess, I think later we find out it's his wife, Tetsinda, as the women uh, and I just thought it was uh, weirdly archaic.
1: Yeah, I mean, Neil Adams is of a certain age, and I'm sure maybe maybe part of saying women is, like, because it's the Neanderthal society, so maybe he thinks that they don't have traditional concepts of marriage. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it is it is <laughs> it is weird that it's just sort of got to rescue the women.
0: Yeah. I guess it would be weirder if he were to say, like, you're girlfriend or something That's yeah yeah guy
1: um so you, were, you had mentioned the savage land from x-men earlier um if for those of you out there in radio land who may not know this um neil adams was actually um an artist on the x-men at one point in the late 60s That's right um if you don't uh for little x-men history like x-men in the 60s was not at all a popular book um, sort of their last-ditch attempt to save it was to put uh, the team of Roy Thomas and Neil Adams on it. And one of their most famous stories was actually The X-Men in the Savage Land, and it had some very um, lovingly detailed dinosaurs and jungle stuff. So I think I, it sort of makes sense to me that like Neil Adams is returning to that. I mean, clearly the guy loves to draw dinosaurs and jungles and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's cool to see. Yeah, he's definitely there's nothing to kind of denigrate about his his dinosaur game it's pretty (laughs) pretty tight Uh, and all the like the giant bats and everything look amazing and crazy and uh, they're really dynamic on the page so i i wanted to talk a little bit about primus i feel like we've talked about jamroth a bunch so to remind you about Primus's deal, he's the Neanderthal Batman's Robin, basically. And he's an evolved dinosaur, but he pretty much looks... I mean, he he has some weird features. He has, like, obviously he has a tail and... Uh, <laughs> I, like, I like how you said ob- obviously, like... <laughs> so Primus and Batman are having this conversation and... so. Primus says to Batman, my people are evolved dinosaurs. Hard to believe. And Batman's response is not really with that massive tail and impressive canines. I'm evil, easily convinced. And just as somebody who's like a detective and a scientist, it seems weird to me that he's immediately like just jumping to the conclusion that, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is an evolved dinosaur based on those (laughs) two pieces of evidence.
1: Well, uh, uh, Alfred and Robin have a discussion about the, um, sort of what if dinosaurs had survived and evolved thing as well. And they, they seem like this, they seem to think that this is a pretty accepted science that like, oh yeah, like if you had dinosaurs evolved, they would look just like people and they would have hair. It looks, it looks like he has hair, mm-hmm. which is not a dinosaur mammals, right? You know, have yeah. hair. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, there's some, um, And like, I I definitely have heard of this sort of fringe theory about, um, what would the evolved dinosaur look like? Um, it's one of the things that actually they, uh, some people think that's, you know, when I say some people like fringe theories that like the evolved dinosaur is part of the origin of the alien gray look in our, in our culture.
0: Which will also pop it up, pop up in the series, of course.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Before this is over, you'll see a lot of stuff. Okay. Um. So speaking about some fringe beliefs, and I I sort of hesitate to bring this up because I don't know the total ins and outs, and I don't want to totally misrepresent him. But um, I don't know if you're aware, but Neil Adams has some unorthodox views about how the Earth works
0: that I think might tie into the plot that we have in this issue. Yeah, yeah. I was catching a little bit of that on um on wikipedia
1: so basically he believes and this isn't just him this is like a theory that is out there that the theory of plate tectonics is false and that the earth is literally expanding over time and that's why like the pangea landmass breaks apart and why the pieces sort of fit together so and this is something that you know he's he's very open with sharing you can find if you go on youtube and look for neil adams like expanding earth or something you'll find videos that he's actually produced and talks about Um, i haven't watched all of them so i don't want to talk too much about them but um one thing that i noticed in this in this issue is that he's it seems like they almost sort of refer to that because he talks about how the uh the earth grows inward and outward and how uh, see how the crystals push outwards so it's, it almost seems like there's sort of a seed of his belief in this. And while I don't want to suggest that Neil Adams thinks that the earth is literally filled with dinosaurs and evolved, um, Neanderthals and stuff. Um, it is interesting. And then I wonder if the low gravity thing
0: comes with that. Yeah. Uh, that was, a uh, just another one of those things that, uh, eventually it comes into play in terms of Batman starts being affected by the low gravity, but it just seemed like to come out of nowhere. So that would, if it's linked up with some kind of, let's say fringe science, then that would be at least maybe a little bit more digestible, palatable, Um, but it makes for a good, some good Batman tank flipping scenes. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I uh, wanted to talk about, the last couple of pages of this issue where we get uh they get them actually entering the cave um so we uh, the hollow earth slash underworld so we get that last two-page shot of batman reacting to the cave which i thought was pretty good uh pretty good moment but i also thought it was weird that it kind of leads up to the scene, but it's earlier on in the in the issue. We have that those few pages or those few panels of him riding the the T Rex and like getting flipped off and fighting. So it's it seems anticlimactic, sort of.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Neil Adams throughout the series plays with sort of um, the sequencing of events in kind of a weird. Pseudo pulp fiction way almost, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it was definitely sort of a weird choice to, I th- I th- what I'm thinking likes to do is that Neil Adams maybe wants to start the issue out with a like start the issue with a bang, you know, like that sort of and that's a very sort of old school comics mentality of, you know, when kids used to be at the newsstand flipping through issues, if if that first page was not exciting, mm-hmm. maybe they turn it down. So maybe that's sort of like a remnant of that kind of thought of. If we got dinosaurs, we got to put dinosaurs on page one and, you know, or page, however many it is after you have shirtless Bruce Wayne. Maybe this isn't the right theory because <laughs> it does start with shirtless Bruce Wayne.
0: Yeah. I mean, we got um, f- four pages of summary and then the the sensei breakout, but yeah, I, I can see what you.
1: Yeah. I, I, you know what? Maybe this was a, this was a dead, dead end because it's, it's just the, just another legitimately baffling choice, I guess.
0: <laughs> Uh, I, I definitely think if he would have led with you know Batman being flipped off a T Rex, that's yeah, that would be <laughs> I'm a good hook. Tell for that.
1: So issue two begins with Batman, Jamroth Bach, and Primus scuffling with some trolls. Um, from whom they get their mounts, which are enormous, rideable bats. Um, appropriate. They pursue the sensei's henchmen who are riding T-Rexes. Uh, Batman commandeers a T-Rex um, and continues on as it's sort of destroyed from under him. Uh continues on to a village of Dinosaur Men. They sit down to a feast, Batman, the Dinosaur Men, um, Jamrock, Boff, and Primus. And as they are doing this, Batman deduces that some of the dinosaur men are working with the sensei in exchange for various favors and um, trinkets, and that they are betraying their own dinosaur people. Once Batman reveals this, the dinosaur villagers flip out and murder the traitors amongst themselves, and Batman seems to think that this has gone poorly. Um, This is perhaps a, a shorter summary, but that is... It gets difficult to to break down the page to page action on this one. Again, I'm going to go back to the <laughs> to the Bruce Wayne opening. I love that he's wearing a Green Lantern shirt. Like he he puts on this Green Lantern shirt and he's like, again, talking to the reader or the interviewer, like, "Hey, do you like this? I have the whole set. This is great. You got to have this." Um, and it's also sort of funny because, well, for one thing, um, Neil Adams has a history with. Uh, Green Lantern, so it makes a certain amount of sense. But also, and I don't know if it's the case as much anymore, but in the 90s when I was reading DC Comics, um, there was a, sort of like an animosity between Batman and various Green Lanterns that they like did not like each other. And Batman punched the Guy Gardner Green Lantern. And when the Hal Jordan Green Lantern turned evil, Batman was very sort of no-nonsense about him being a bad guy. That's just sort of an interesting... You know, this is this is me reading too much into it, but I just have sort of a metatextual chocolate like,
0: "Hey, I I love my Green Lantern shirt, dude." Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm gonna have to defer to you on a lot of the the <laughs> non Batman DC knowledge. Um, I it just it strikes me as kind of uncool. Like if you saw Kurt Cobain wearing a Pearl Jam T shirt or something like in the nineties, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. And they're like, I guess they're pretty much coworkers. He's wearing a T-shirt of his coworkers' logo, but uh, (laughs) I'm
1: always interested. I'm always interested as how like copyright must work in the Marvel and DC universes because you always see like somebody, like a kid in the drawing, and you know, in the background in a city shot, like wearing like a Wolverine T-shirt or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how would you even license Wolverine's image? Isn't? (laughs) Yeah. How do you how do you go i guess now that he's on the Avengers, do you go through the Avengers but like there'll be a kid with a ghost Rider action figure and is that
0: public domain i i, th-
1: I think about i think about this a lot
0: yeah i mean i, I, think I shouldn't, you could, but you could turn that into a mini series like i p damage control or something
1: <laughs> yeah we should we should we should definitely pitch that let's stop yeah. recording this and for him to pitch um so I will say that the Again, like the chase sequences in this with the Batman and the hollow earth dynamic duo on the bats and the fighting the dinosaurs and stuff it's really cool, like visually. And if you if listening to this has put you off the story, you might actually just want to pick this like this book up. And just look at sequences like this, like without really paying attention to the dialogue or trying to put it in the context of a larger thing, it really is an impressive masterclass on action choreography and storytelling in comics.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I like how it feels like this this volume of the of the story is kind of embracing the like the crazier elements more directly. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, for for all the weird stuff in volume one, it's still it's still Batman and Gotham city doing Batman stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that scene where he's, he's running towards the, the T-Rex to basically get it under control. And he's like thinking to himself, I don't like this. I don't like this. I like (laughs) this. And then he jumps on it and he's like, I love it. (laughs) It's just one of those moments where it's cheesy, but I think it also, not only does it kind of uh, lead into the, the craziness, but it's going with with what Neil Adams, the theme that he was talking about of kind of Batman going to this place to rediscover himself and and sort of like rejuvenate himself in some ways. So I, I thought the artwork and the kind of the text worked well there.
1: So there's a, there's a sequence where um, Batman is descending on the dinosaur people. And one thing that he says is that he says, I stepped into the shadow, backlighting looks good on the costume that way. And I, this is something that we mentioned in the last one too, but Neil Adams has a lot of interesting. And I say this, I say this sincerely. He has a lot of interesting insights. He's clearly thought a lot, a lot about how Batman works and how he would do stuff. And I like these little insights that you get from time to time about like that Batman very deliberately. Like he doesn't, it's not an accident that like he stands in front of a, you know, light and has a cast a dramatic shadow. This is something he's like thinking about and doing on purpose.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I uh, mentioned last app that I love those moments where he's really kind of conscious of the theatricality of being Batman. It's it's pretty awesome. We get to that the final scene where Batman's among the evolved dinosaur people, and he ferrets out the two traitors, and uh, immediately before he can do anything, the the tribe or the, the group or whatever murders murders of those two traitors. And I think again, it's one of these moments where we're set up for this as the climax and you get Batman kind of looking, um, looking regretfully at this carnage and, and he's looking really um, guilty, I guess, or, or kind of feeling guilty about it to a certain extent. Um, but then It seems like it's maybe going to have ramifications going into the next issue, but then it's like never mentioned again.
1: I could be charitable and say maybe this is sort of working with the uh, sort of theme of Batman being unable to like go the distance and actually kill his enemies and how maybe other, you know, like this is how they take care of their business and this isn't how I take care of my business. But yeah, it does just sort of seem like, I mean, the big splash panel at the end is you got the two dead traders
0: in the back and Batman is like, well. <laughs> I knew this wasn't going to be a good day. The, right. <laughs> yeah. It just seemed like, again, there's not as much carryover with certain parts of the story into the next issue. Unless it's like, as you're saying, kind of just tied to those larger thematic things that are more general
1: but yeah, th- throughout here the the sort of issue breaks seem almost arbitrary to the point in some in some cases where I wonder if it was pre- conceived of as like a different format in some way and then they just sort of broke it up into you know 22 page or whatever however many page yeah. chunks for a standard comic release.
0: All right, any, uh anything else about issue 2?
1: Uh yeah, I want to one thing I want to wrap up with is um Batman has an epiphany eating dinner about, so he sort of asks the dinosaur people like, Hey, you're eating dinosaurs. Like, is that, is that weird for you? And the dinosaur people are like, no, they're, you know, they're, they're animals. And he says, you know, mammals eat mammals. And don't some of your people eat monkeys. And Batman has like a laughing, like epiphany about this. He goes, ha ha ha. Yes, yes, it's true. Some people eat monkeys and dogs and cats and we eat everything. And to do it, we kill everything. And that's, again, it seems it seems like we're talking about the act of killing and it being necessary, but it's a mm-hmm. really weird, it's just a, another one of those very sort of odd, out of left field, weird character moments that, like, Batman, in the middle of all this serious stuff, that, and he, like, he yeah. snaps out of it right away, and he's like, you know what I'm doing here, I'm here to find Talia, right. Rosalie daughter, if she's not already, but he's just like five. He seems slightly unstable. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's the, the lighter gravity in the center of the earth.
0: Yeah. I didn't you could read it as, yeah, as is kind of like a, just laughing out of like hysteria, almost of <laughs> everything that he's seen and kind of coming to this realization of, you know, how much killing humanity or actually does, but a uh, little bit of a weird tonal shift. So issue three, we we see Robin making his way to the underworld and meeting some trolls who have giant bats for him to fly on uh, so he can pursue Batman. And then Deadman shows up and because of the rules of the underworld, Deadman is now tangible, which means he can hop on one of those giant bats and fly alongside Robin. And meanwhile, Batman's meeting up with groups of allies who are going to help him fight the sensei's assassins. And I'm sure we'll go into those allies in detail. Uh, But we've got everything from aliens to magicians and uh, some other assorted weird groups. Uh, And then Batman and his crew fight their way through sensei's ranks. Batman meets the sensei and they have a one-on-one fight. It's pretty much a draw for now. Sensei tells Batman he won't kill Batman until Batman gives him what he treasures most, uh, which is left vague for a reason. And he also tells him he won't kill Batman until Batman, until Batman has basically watched Talia die. And then the sensei just pretty casually wanders away from Batman and crew after deflecting a rocket with his magic martial arts powers (laughs) and that's the issue Um, so again i think this this issue and, and these issues are leaning more into the the absurdity of it and kind of embracing that rather than just trying to make a serious statement about batman and i think that that works in its favor um i want to look at the the opening narration we get bruce wayne again he says though i had at least eliminated the neanderthals and the evolved dinosaurs dinosaurs still there was the assassins raws oilers the magicians aliens and the old gods some days it doesn't pay to get up and i just thought it was kind of a nice little tip of the hat or kind of a acknowledging the the out there qualities of this story and and uh it's like adams is leaning into the pulp fantasy vibe and really not apologetic about it which i think works yeah i think
1: it's definitely due to his credit that he's not trying to tell you i'm actually t- telling the most serious batman story you will ever hear it is like yeah we're having you know we're we ha- we're you know having some disc- thematic discussions but we have fun here
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah uh, in in general, I think, in especially in this issue, but in volume two as a whole, the the action becomes a little sh- more straightforward. Where I find it in the in the first volume, there was a lot of like time shifting and a lot of weird sort of narrative detours. And while there's still some of that stuff, I think it's a lot it's a lot clearer. And I think Adams is mm-hmm. sort of playing to his strengths of like I can draw a cool action sequence with dinosaurs or dinosaur men or you know fights and just really leaning into like you came here for some action stuff and i want to give that to you
0: yeah yeah he's uh and you came here for some action stuff and some crazy aliens (laughs) and wizards and uh jazz magicians
1: yeah jazz wizards Jazz, jazz magicians and Yeah. That's, that's and that's you know it comes out of it comes out of nowhere. I don't know what the thought is behind it because like you know the the you know the dinosaurs and stuff in the center of the earth and even the alien greys, i think is part of like some hollow earth lore that there are aliens controlling stuff in the center of the earth but the you know the jazz magicians that's that's new and like it's it's a fun addition. Yeah. There's also a really nice, nice scene where Batman actually gets to be a detective, where he's you know he tells the, the magician like, "Oh, you play clarinet," and the magician, and the magician is like, "Oh, how do you know?" And he mentions something about his lip, like he has some sort of mm. tell telltale sign about clarinet players in his lip, and like I, that's another one of those like mm-hmm. Neil Adams details that I enjoy.
0: Yeah, and I like I like the fact that it's like the most generic looking wizard otherwise
1: <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's it's very much like if you see like a like a five-year-old kid's like drawing of like what does a wizard look like and he's like oh he's got the robes and the pointy hat and it's got
0: stars and moons on it mm-hmm. so i i i wish he'd gone into more detail about like what their <laughs> jazz related powers are
1: yeah i i will i will say this is the part of the story that one that left me wanting more
0: <laughs> yeah i guess uh like i was wondering do they gain power from playing the instruments? I mean we don't see them playing the instruments or anything, but it's uh yeah, I need I needed more. Uh we also get Batman starting starting to benefit from the the gravity shift in this issue. Um so we get that sequence where he's he's saying he says literally I was discovering an incredible thing. I had gained superpowers. I had become Superman. Not really, but between the heightened adrenaline and the shift in gravity, so we see Batman just tossing around tanks in this uh battle against Sensei's assassins, and I just thought that was another kind of cool sequence.
1: Yeah, how often do you get to see, you know, a uh, Batman flip a tank, right?
0: Yeah. And he, it definitely seems like he needed this. In his...
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's sort of a, it's a, it's a nice moral win for him because he is at this time. Um, So his, the other Batman and Robin don't really seem to have a compunction about killing. And this is treated as a war where basically everybody but Batman is trying to kill the other side um, he says something weird in here a couple of times where he says, "I was the weak sister." Mm-hmm. Is that a is that a saying that you are familiar with? Uh, i f- it sounds vaguely
0: familiar.
1: Like I, I mean, I, I I get it. You know, a slightly sexist way of <laughs> of expressing it, but you know, I, mm-hmm. I I get the idea. But there's a couple of things, and I'm I got them pointed out here, but. I don't, I actually don't know where Adams is from, but he seems to have a lot of sort of folksy sayings in his, in his back pocket mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll see Batman, uh, pull out a few rather confusing, uh, idioms as we go on. And hopefully, you know, um, perhaps you'll have some insight or perhaps not.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was, uh, some, some great robin lines coming up that i think will yield some insights into into neil adams and his and his background and slang and so forth yeah i, I liked there's even a, a fairly funny exchange between robin and dead man here where they're teaming up to fight the gnomes and the trolls and robin says to Deadman. man Bruce has a scrapbook and computer file on you, but you're, excuse it, um, dead. And Dead Man's Hand says, um, yes, extremely, you know, dead. Uh, so just a couple of little moments where, again, I think it's the tone is kind of more in keeping with what's going on, and and I and just gets in some good character moments with some of these uh pairings and so forth. So the sensei fight.
1: There is so this is one of those things where a lot of a lot of things in this series are structured so that more is going on that you aren't aware of at the time. Um and this is one of those things but you do get some nice um, you know, action sequence between Batman and the Sensei, and you're supposed to get the sense that again he has sort of these ill defined kind of mystical eastern powers. Um, but, um, one thing that's, one thing that was the thing that stood out to me in there is that Batman's arm fins are being portrayed as actually being like retractable razors, hmm. which is, that's something that I, so I'm not totally sure what they were supposed to be like in the silver age and the bronze age. Cause I, you know, if you look at the, um, like the Batman TV show from the sixties, they just seem like they're sort of like decorative fabric or whatever, but the Christopher Nolan movies, I think they were one of the sort of big progenitors of the idea that they are actually blades that you can use for fighting or for yeah you know grappling onto the wall or whatever. yeah,
0: I thought that was a a neat little little reveal on how he has to kind of retract them back because they're fighting with no weapons and he wants to be
1: honorable yeah there's a a fair play thing although then then he says he oh sorry i forgot to retract them and but they're still out so is it oh is it just the just the blade yeah that's i mean it's it's another one of those weird disconnects between Hmm. the script and the art i think they're at like like, yeah like half half mast or
0: something yeah 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 i thought that was a pretty well-drawn fight um i guess we find out later on why it kind of ends pretty abruptly
1: one of the things when you're reading this series is that something like this happens where basically they have this big fight they're like this is a draw and they say they say something to each other and then they both leave like at when you're reading it at the time it seems so weird but mm-hmm. at the same time the rest of the series is so weird that it doesn't necessarily seem out of place yeah like if this was like like any other Batman story and he left the guy, you know, the guy that he was just fighting, just like, okay, go ahead and you deflect this rocket with your magical ninja powers. Mm -hmm. Like that would seem weird, but here it's like, yeah, that's weird. But is it unexpected?
0: (laughs) Yeah. You, you can be sure that like two issues down the line, shirtless Bruce Wayne's going to be explaining it to you.
1: Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and hinting that it was obvious, (laughs) you know, like obviously, Why would Mm -hmm. I do this? And it's like, well, you haven't been making things entirely clear so far, Bruce. (laughs) So in issue four, we have Robin and Deadman hanging out. They land their bat mounts. Uh, They fight some pterodactyls. Robin and Deadman bring them down, and they kind of have a a nice bonding moment there. Robin and sort of in the aftermath of this, looks up an article about boston brand who is a dead man's secret identity or his identity when he was still alive and discovers that boston brand was murdered from this he pieces together that his parents circus acrobats killed in a similar sort of circumstances were killed for the same reason as an initiation into ross al Ghul's league of assassins um, so he flies into a rage uh, meanwhile batman Uh, Hanging out with the people in the center of the earth. He's at the Library of Alexandria, which is underground now, I guess. And he's delighted to see it. Uh, He discovers a bunch of scientists from the surface world who have been in hiding for various reasons. Um, Some of them have been in criminal dealings. One of them, I think it was implied that he was a Nazi... Um, they've all been keeping young because of Ra's Ghoul's Ghul's Lazarus Pit treatments. Um, the Lazarus Pit, again, is sort of a fountain of youth thing that Ra's Ghoul Ghul has access to. Um, so Batman talks with these scientists and says, you know, oh, you're here. Your children are here. Your grandchildren are here. Maybe you should take your grandchildren back to the surface. Maybe they'd be happier there. Um, and they kind of maybe actually concede the point. Um, meanwhile, Dead Man's fighting gnomes. Um, he gets a, uh, really that's, that's all the transition you get there. Uh, he gets a mysterious key from these gnomes back at Batman, Anubis and other Egyptian gods attack. They are revealed to be ancient genetic experiments who have been passing themselves off as gods to the, um, that they were, they passed themselves off as gods to the Egyptians. They're guarding the source of the Nile, which is sort of, Sort of a universal Nile or something, but anyway, it's I think it's implied it's the source of the Lazarus Pit and its power. A uh, dead man shows up with a key and says, "Hey, this is the key. Go and go through there. This will open up the door to the source. I guess of the Lazarus Pit." Then the sensei reveals, "Hey, I have Robin hostage. He's being held by two armed guards." Uh, Batman very casually and callously presses a button, and appears to blow Robin up with an explosive device on his person. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, starting positive, the idea of a connection between Robin and a dead man, that, that's an interesting idea because they are, they're not really connected, as far as I know, in any previous stories in the DC you know history. But it makes sense, you know, they're both circus people. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I like the idea that, like, Robin's parents were like, "Oh yeah, this Boston brand guy, like he's the best in the world. You should check him yeah. out." So I like, you know, I like when they when he's, you know, Neil Adams is, you know, again clearly thought about this. He's found a sort of a connection there that um, maybe nobody else has made. But then there's that weird thing of Robin finds out that he was that dead man was murdered, and the fact that his parents were murdered, and he, he puts this he puts to he puts this together that they were murdered for the same reason. Like it's the to- like this. It's this totally obvious connection. Mm-hmm. And again, like it's such a weird conclusion to jump to. Like there were two murders at the circus. That's weird. I'll grant you. There's not many, not many circus murders in the real world. But the, <laughs> but the idea that like obviously these two things must be connected, and this was a great secret that has been kept from me all these years. That's a little weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think. And we get Batman making like those same quarter same kind of deductive loops throughout this series. Like even later in the same issue, he just suddenly figures out that he needs the key that Deadman just fought the trolls for or the, the gnomes for. Uh so I guess yeah, I mean if he's training Robin to have these kind of super deductive abilities. <laughs> then then maybe that's how he gets it but
1: like i would even buy the idea that like a third party would say hey we killed dead man as part of an initiation we also killed robin's parents but for you to be able to like look at those two things and put them together that is a weird it's it's one of those things where like it's it's sort of like a like a storytelling thing like sometimes when you write a story all the story is in your head and everything seems like totally like obvious and logical. And then you like, you show your story to somebody and they go like, well, how does he know that? And you're like, well, cause yeah. you know, he, he, just, he just knows it's like, he didn't show this to anybody before. <laughs>
0: it's yeah. like,
1: no, it's totally, it's totally obvious that these murders, these circus murders are
0: connected. Yeah, definitely. I, I think like, uh, this is one of those things where I don't know how much of a luxury Adams had to get like multiple, drafts of this thing written up but i imagine this and this half of the story we can talk about this more later but it feels a little bit more under editorial scrutiny like it well you said it had some it's taken out some of the weird time things and it feels like it's comprehensible in different ways but
1: yeah and and maybe it's possible that that's one of the reasons why this was split into because um, originally Batman Odyssey was supposed to be one, twelve or thirteen issue series, and then it got split into volume one and volume two, and maybe one of those reasons was DC editorial looking at reviews of volume one, going like, "Oh my god, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta do something about this." But that is mm-hmm. this is pure baseless speculation, um,
0: which yeah. we are we're I not like... going to be held legally accountable <laughs> for as far as far as I yeah. know um so speculate basically as often as you like (laughs) i think i will
1: um so one thing that's weird to me is that batman becomes very indignant about the scientists that their kids and grandchildren have grown up underneath the earth and that maybe you know they should they sort of deserve to be on the surface and we can re you know way enterprises can reintegrate them um but really, living in the center of the earth doesn't seem so
0: bad. <laughs> yeah, you get the Library of Alexandria down there.
1: Yeah, I mean they have they have a society. They have in this issue, you find out they have television. Mm-hmm. They have not internet, but intranet. Like they have they have a whole society going on. Yeah, this this seems like some kind of weird, some kind of weird Batman racism of like. Like, yeah, she, like, sure, you've got all the stuff that we have on, you know, we, basically we have on the surface, plus dinosaurs, plus, you know, jazz magicians, plus alien greys and this, like, weird cocoon thing. But, like, it's not the surface. Like, come on.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I think if we accept Batman the Animated Series as, as canon, then maybe it's it all goes back to that Underdwellers guy who was kidnapping children and <laughs> right and making them pickpockets uh that's that's my no prize explanation for this <laughs> it's it's in the mail okay yeah and I, I also like when batman's kind of narrating how robin is is kind of reacting to the the reveal about his parents and he's kinda of going through it slowly. He's we get the caption of Batman or of Robin flying on the back of a giant bat. And Batman's caption reads Robin's parents, the Flying Graysons, were killed as a test for an assassin's entry into the League of Assassins, and now Dick would have to deal with it alone on his bat. Uh and I just like how they he tacked on that on his bat at the end there, as if flying on a giant bat makes dealing with emotion emotional trauma somehow worse. I could see that. I mean, you know,
1: like, oh, you should sit down for this. Uh-huh. You should you should get off your giant bat transport for this.
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, I guess he does start to, to fall back from his outrage at that realization. So. Maybe Batman knows knows some <laughs> uh some peer reviewed research on dealing with <laughs> trauma when you're flying around on a giant bat. I'm just gonna call it, just gonna call out
1: another one of those weird um uh colloquialisms is that he, Robin refers to Man Bat as his egg cream buddy. Yes. Well, I again that's another one that I do you know do you know what that is meant to signify?
0: Um, I know. I think cuz my mom's from New Jersey and she always talked about getting egg creams when she was younger. It's like a they're like a soda kind of thing. Huh? Like a soda with milk. I think there's no actual egg in them, but I think it's kind of like a soda shop thing. Oh, okay. So I, it's definitely a New York, New Jersey thing as far as I know. That makes
1: that makes sense. So it's like it's sort of a sarcastic, like, "Oh yeah, man, bat and I, we mm-hmm. go out for egg creams all the time."
0: Yeah, and then I that's asked... that's cleared this up. <laughs> okay. I also <laughs> like this is a lead pipe cinch describing flying around on the bat. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna start working that into my my <laughs> uh, daily conversations. We'll turn to issue five now. And so Robin, he thought he was blown up, but turns out he's fine because Batman built him an explosive device that doesn't hurt the person at the center of the explosion. So Robin and Batman reunite. Batman rallies all of the Neanderthals, engineers, evolved dinosaurs, and Egyptian demigods for war against the Sensei again. An epic battle ensues. During the fighting, Batman... Starts to suspect that the sensei actually never kidnapped Talia and Tatsinda, but that Ra's Al Ghul might have just kidnapped them to get Batman to go to war with the sensei. So Batman deduces that the gnomes kidnap them for Ra's Al Ghul, uh, kidnapped, quote, the women. Batman and the king of the gnomes make a deal that they'll get the woman back in exchange for Batman giving the gnomes a mysterious key. The gnome prince, uh, there's there's like a whole Game of Thrones thing going on <laughs> with the the prince and the the king of the gnomes. Uh, isn't happy with this decision, so the gnomes attack Batman and company and his uh, and his uh, allies, and then Batman and everybody fight the gnomes and win. Yeah, so we get another fake out death to start off this issue where we thought Robin had been blown up, but. According to Batman, the place that has the least amount of danger in an explosion is the epicenter of the explosion. Um, yeah, did you did you think Bat- Batman killed Robin? Were you, were you bummed or were you expecting something like this?
1: Again, to some degree, it's one of those things of like... Everything that he does in this series is so weird that nothing necessarily seems out of character. So, like... You know, you you read you read the the cliffhanger, and this actually is like a real cliffhanger. Um, <laughs> we don't get in every <laughs> issue, but yeah, like looking yeah. at this and going, probably not. But you know, is that a fake Robin? Is that you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but but so one thing that's really weird about that though, and this is like out of character, is that this entire sort of thematic heft to the series is the idea that Batman does not kill; he doesn't have it in him. He kills those two guys with the explosion, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, at least <laughs> one of the
1: guys I got to think is dead. I mean, in the previous issue, he says, I'm dying, I'm dying. And, like, there, there's an arm blown off. hmm So, like... Yeah, and that's the and guy unless, that's... Unless, unless, yeah, Unless Batman is the sort of guy who can rationalize it to such a degree, like, I didn't kill them. Robin's explosives killed them. Uh-huh. But it seems... it's It's just a really weird... Some like somebody should have caught that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: like, Hey, maybe you can't kill. If this point of your story is that Batman can't kill people and that maybe he should don't have him kill two people (laughs) pretty, pretty casually and not even really seem to realize it. Yeah. I am going to take Neil Adams at his word that the epicenter of an explosion is the safest place to be. I don't feel like that's probably true. But I will, it's, you know, as it's, as one of those things, like if if Batman says, actually, that's true, I will like for the purpose of this story, I will believe that. It the was, Eye of the Storm. You
0: know? Yeah, yeah. It was one of those things where I was like, oh, okay, it's kind of counterintuitive, so it's probably one of those those facts that like people hold on to, and that's actually true. Um, when they start that new, when they start the new Mythbusters show, I'm thinking about s-
1: submitting this. Okay.
0: Yeah, I think that would be, a, and we can also find out whether it's more emotionally traumatic to be on the back right. of a, a giant bat when you get bad news. Yeah, so jury's still out on that one. Uh, you, uh,
1: so, sorry, you were you were you were saying something before I got into Mythbusters.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, no, I looked it up on Wikipedia. Uh, I asked my wife, who's like a, uh, she watches all these PBS shows about like World War II weapons and and such and. She had never heard of that. So for now, I'm going to say tentatively that it might just be a DC universe scientific property. Um, so we get the moment where Batman's rallying all the the Neanderthals and engineers and, and dinosaurs and so forth with that, that speech, uh, which you got to have that, that moment if you're going to have an epic battle. Uh, I kind of like that, that page of him giving his... William Wallace or his Henry, <laughs> right. the, Henry Henry V type inspiring speech. This came up in volume one, but Talia
1: seems weird here again. <laughs> so if, if you're not totally familiar with Talia, she's sort of, you know, they, she's sort of portrayed um, whether this is uncool or not as sort of like, you know, an exotic, mysterious beauty who is sort of, you know, cryptic, And very sort of um, formal. Um, And here, like, Batman shows up and she's, like, flirty. And, and, like, Neil Adams, like, is, like, the co-creator of Talia. So it's sort of a weird thing for him to decide, like, oh, yeah, Ra's al Ghul's daughter. Like, she's a lot of fun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like That's why, you know, maybe that's why Batman likes her. Because, like, you think the daughter of an international eco-terrorist would not be a fun time but they got good chemistry but yeah there's like you know batman says talia so much has happened i need time to talk to you and she's like you mean like a date
0: yeah they're they have a few moments where it seems maybe a little bit more like or she seems a little bit more cat woman type in that yeah in that sort, regard.
1: Of, sort of casual flirty like because the thing is that like despite the sort of like romance thing that's in their backstory it's this sort of like romance that can never really be sort of thing. And here they act like they hook up all the time and like, she's just out of town a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what happens in the underworld stays <laughs> in the underworld. So maybe Batman's going to let things kind of play out. Yeah. Uh, so we get the, the uh, plot twist here about Tatsinda and Talia where it wasn't uh, the sensei all along who kidnapped them. Um, so, what did you think about this plot twist? I mean, we've been pretty much bombarded with twists throughout. Yeah, actually, it sort of had less of an impact
1: because there have been so many twists and illogical leaps that, like, to be honest, like as I was reading this, I probably forgot that Talia was even kidnapped by 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 this issue. Um, so much stuff happens and in such a weird order that at some point I'm looking at, I'm reading this series, like I understand the things that are happening in the moment, but not always why they're happening. So, um, it was, it was maybe a bit of a thud. It is a, mm-hmm. it it is a twist that like makes sense, right? Like, sense yeah. that, you know, that, that basically like this is Ra's Ghoul Ghul is a bad guy. He's not just a guy who's gonna, you know, he shows up with Batman being like, Oh, Hey, my daughter has been kidnapped. Maybe Roz can handle that himself, but it is like you know, it's it's a logical way of getting Batman involved, considering that Batman has no real reason to trust ghoul or do what he, do what he says.
0: Yeah, I I agree that out of a lot of the twists that we've gotten, it seems to be maybe the most kind of uh, logical based on what we have seen, and I do like that it kind of makes it brings back this. Roz as like, as like the main schemer at the center of things.
1: Yeah, because I, I had sort of, you know, like five issues deep into this
0: volume two, like you sort of forget about Ra's al Ghul. Mm-hmm. I'm not really invested in the sensei as as a villain. Yeah.
1: I mean, again, like we've been talking about, he's just sort of a collection of quasi-racist old cliches about like the mysterious wizened old man from the Orient, right? But actually, he's an you know unstoppable assassin with mystical powers who can screw you up, and you know. But yeah, not super cool.
0: Uh, another point of confusion for me was I feel like maybe this is just me, but at some point, Batman—it's the gnomes that have kidnapped them, uh, the quote women—and also, but then they're called trolls at different points. Did you? Have as much confusion as I did between the trolls and the gnomes. Yeah,
1: I mean, they they sort of bring this up in an earlier issue. Dead Man says something about like, oh, no, those were these are gnomes. Those were trolls or whatever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So like you kind of like bring it up. But then like, yeah, one of those things where I'm not sure if it's a Neil Adams mistake or if it's a character mistake or if it's just I'm using words. Like whatever, because whatever, let I me mean, a lot of the dialogue in this in this series seems like whatever word I think was appropriate at the time. Yeah. I'm just going to use that, and not not worry about it too much.
0: Yeah, I think I was pulling out my monster manual and trying to figure out the <laughs> right. the species, and it wasn't helping. I mean, c- considering that
1: we have Reuben Reuben from the previous volume. A couple of times mentioned as reuben blades and actually that happens in an issue one of this volume two where yes. it's the uh the interviewer person says oh you mean that you know that monster reuben blades and it's like, <laughs> no that's are, are we it's again it's like is that did neil adams like was he watching like once upon a time in mexico mm-hmm. thinking about it or
0: yeah like, i mean to be to be fair to Neil Adams, Ruben Blades does sound like a Batman character.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I've I've I actually looked it up because I wasn't sure about the pronunciation, but that is like his name. Yeah, there's I mean, like suppo- I mean like supposedly it could be my wife speaks you know some you know high school college level Spanish, it should be like Blades, hmm. but he's I saw an interview where he's like, oh yeah, like people have always called me Blades.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. So I was not
1: wrong last time if you okay. if you were going to, if if somebody out there was going to was going to complain about that mm-hmm. Reuben Blades himself says it's cool so
0: yeah yeah uh also we get Talia and Tatsinda actually joining in the fight against the gnomes which is more in keeping with what we know about Talia which is mm-hmm. nice yeah it is it was
1: sort of a weird again with Talia being sort of out of character like Talia is not the kind of character in a Batman story who is there because the villain kidnaps her or holding her hostage or whatever. Like in, ha- in half of the st- you know stories involving Talia, like she might actually be the villain as she's capable and she's out there doing stuff. Uh, so issue six, we have Batman, Robin, Talia, Jamroth, um, back on their bat mounts. They meet, The legendary mythological rock, a sort of giant eagle creature, um, they blow it up. (laughs) They blow up the legendary rock. Uh, The unseen person that Bruce has been telling this whole story to points out that, hey, Batman left out what the sensei said to him after that battle a few issues previous, um, and also what happened at the door with the key. Talking about the latter point, Batman goes into the River of Death and fights a cyclops, who Batman instantly deduces is telepathic. (laughs) Batman defeats him by planting a false thought and then sort of hitting the Cyclops with a bright light, which he's got one big eye and lives in the dark. It's not great for a Cyclops. Uh, The Cyclops' family shows up, and fearing that Batman will kill their Cyclops patriarch, they permit him to take the to use the key and go into that final door and take whatever that lazarus pit juice stuff is with that part taken care of now we flash back to that conversation with the sensei several issues before we get a little more context that like they've were talking about something and the sensei wants something that batman can give him Um, then back to the present of the story i think following the rock battle Um, Talia discovers that Roz was the actual kidnapper. Batman brings her back to Wayne Manor to confront Roz about it. Um, Batman says that to Roz that I've decimated the sensei's army, but I did not kill the sensei. He's still out there. He's, you know, if he's going to come for me, he's going to come for me. And also Roz, I told your son that you would be hanging out here. So watch out for that. The sensei's assassins do end up attacking Roz. He survives. Um, he kills the assassins, but they leave a note drawing Batman to the final showdown. Um, it's weird that, again, in a, in a series where the whole thing is killing is not good, and the rock isn't a person, the mythological rock, but the, you know, the mythical, like the legendary rock and Batman's response to it is like, let's blow it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, And like Jamroth Bach, apparently The Rock is one of the things that inspired him to become Batman because it's been a scourge of his people, and Batman pretty casually is able to destroy The Rock forever, but man, that's just like from from an ecological perspective.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, even a a few episodes or a few issues ago, Batman was legitimately upset when he was riding on a T-Rex and he ended up getting it speared because he got attacked while he was on it.
1: Yeah. So he has, you know, he has feelings and empathy for, for wildlife. The rock is certainly wildlife. It wasn't like a, you know, it's, it's just a giant bird, but he, he blows this thing up. Like, and then like, if this was like the terror of his, you know jamroth box people for you know since the dawn of their civilization like they have explosives and stuff right like these mm-hmm. <laughs> somebody could have somebody could have taken care of that
0: yeah i mean the, the egyptian gods are sporting semi-automatic weapons or or guns and like the previous previous uh issues, so they definitely have that that technology
1: yeah, this this rock does not seem so tough. Um I do love in the panel where they where they blow up the rock. You can he actually has like an eyeball that goes flying out of the explosion. Yeah. That's again like if you for sheer drawings that are bonkers and lovingly detailed. You can't go wrong with Neil Adams blowing blowing up a giant eagle creature, but Mhm.
0: Yeah, I it's definitely would have. That's like when I was ten years old and I was drawing gruesome scenes. I would have <laughs> copied that eyeball yeah. flying off with that loving detail. <laughs> um, so I I did like the the underground area that Batman goes to fight the Cyclops in. Mm-hmm. Kind of like these these stone platforms with all these waterfalls flowing down in the dark, and it just looks really cool and um i think it's different enough from the other settings we've seen to kind of set it apart
1: yeah i think sort of in the underworld area there's been sort of a problem of it's just sort of this either you have the sort of high tech like sensei's you know layer and mobile base or whatever or you just sort of have like that you know it's there's cave stuff and there's jungle stuff and it's been a lot of that for the past uh several issues so yeah it was a definitely a cool environment
0: uh yeah i think the design on the the cyclops is pretty neat it's this weird it's almost like kind of got a spidery type face yeah it's got like sort of tendrils and stuff yeah and then batman uses essentially a dad joke to defeat (laughs) this thing (laughs) yeah where he's he's trying to read his mind and uh so, the Cyclops says, "You'll use a henway to defeat me a henway. what's a henway and Batman responds about two and a half pounds. Why do you ask <laughs> uh so I guess that moment was cheesy, but it it worked for me,
1: given that we're just disp- supposed to assume that the Cyclops is psychic
0: mm-hmm.
1: taking that as a given <laughs> yeah, I think you know I, th- I think it's a i think it's a it's a f it's a fun way of like you know Batman uses your your strengths against yourself and to mess up somebody who's reading his mind he's going to think deliberately misleading thoughts and actually there is the um the cyclops's son right the, the cyclops's son is worried that batman is going to kill his father and batman apparently has enough um of this like rage and darkness in him that like it's feasible so batman is definitely getting sort of you know tainted by the darkness um around him in this story.
0: It's kind of a cool weird creature to end things on, but it I would say it's a little bit more satisfying than watching him fight the sensei. Yeah,
1: early. <laughs> so should we talk about they reveal in this issue who Bruce Wayne has been talking to this whole time if not if not literally the reader who's reading the story and it's Clark Kent. Yes. And is revealed in this Since this has been, like, a 12-issue thing now, it's revealed in a very offhanded fashion. Like, all of a sudden, he just shows up. And it's like, so he just decided to tell her it was her father who had them kidnapped? Like, it's a weird choice to have, you know, to be building this up. And there's hints, and there's been hints and clues and stuff. And then it's just, like, bam. Like, the second to last issue. Like, the last issue reveal would make a certain amount of sense. But this is a baffling, dramatic uh, technique. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I think even if um you mentioned the hints that are dropped, Robin mentions that he's a reporter. I can't remember. It might have even been a previous issue, or uh, yeah, and there
1: was when uh when Bruce was showing him like some pictures of the you know the exploits. He goes, "Oh, I'm I'm not a photographer." Right. So yeah, I mean it's 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 set up and stuff. It's a it's a fair. I don't think that the that Clark talks at all in volume one, but he does, he starts to mm-hmm. in volume two sort of leading up to this. So it is whether or not it's something that was planned from the beginning. And personally I did kind of like the idea that Bruce Wayne was just talking to like you and me, like you or I f- somehow found ourselves into the back cave. And he's like, buddy, I'm going to take you into my full confidence and tell you all about this, this is totally crazy story that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and like, and that make, it makes sense that Batman, if it has to be an actual real character, which maybe it probably should be, it makes sense for it to be Clark Kent. Like they would be familiar and they're they're friends.
0: So then we get that moment with Talia confronting Ra's Al Ghul, and what I like about that moment is, so she gets angry that he had her kidnapped, and. Um, and then Roz said, but you escaped. I sent Batman. And she says, Batman, so that he would kill my deadly brother while you sipped Uzo and watch sports. <laughs> and Roz's response is sports. What? I don't. So so he, he concedes the Uzo. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I, was def- I was definitely here drinking. I was definitely here drinking. <laughs> but
0: sports. God, no. <laughs> he was. He was not sitting on the, the couch of the of wayne manor just watching sports center <laughs> espn 2 or anything like that he's, he's he seems like almost offended at the idea right. <laughs> i was
1: like you, you can call me a terrible father for having you kidnapped like maybe that's on me but like don't be suggesting that i'm here watching beach volleyball i'm not
0: <laughs> yeah i mean maybe if there's like a good falconry contest on or something i could yeah say that. But yeah
1: fencing or something
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then also just Alfred. I think he's being too polite to Ra's al Ghul. Ra's al hanging out
1: al Ghul is still like, hanging out in their house after all this. Mm-hmm. Alfred's giving him tea. Like, Robin just found out that to gain entrance to Ra's al Ghul's League of Assassins, you have to kill somebody in a circus, I guess. So, like, Raz is the guy who was behind your parents' murder. You found this out just now. And like it's it's not it's not brought up at all. Not even like it's it's a, it's one of those like dead ends that just got like forgot.
0: Yeah, yeah. And like Alfred's keeps serving him tea, and <laughs> like Razal Ghul drops a tea glass, and Alfred's like, "Oh, don't worry about it. I'll clean it up for you."
1: Yeah, and it's, there's a funny moment where Roswell Ghul is trying to like sort of trying to get Alfred on his side, saying like, "Oh, you, you know, you're the most mature one. You'll understand." What I've done here, and I don't know. I mean, like, I would against something, that, something that leaves you wanting more. I guess I want to know, like, what exactly Rosal Ghoul and Alfred got up to while they were cruising around in the underworld. Maybe they were, you know, they were apparently drinking. They mm-hmm. were, they were fine with that. Now they're having some tea, sort of like you know, okay, they're back. We gotta, you know, we gotta, gotta settle down here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, there's just there's hospitality, and then there's like. Letting somebody just kill like five assassins in your house and not really, not really caring about it.
1: When you have one of these characters like Razel Ghul, where like the hero and the villain have this sort of like respect and courtesy for each other and stuff that's mutual and stuff, it is one of those things where it's weird. It's like, okay, like maybe Ra's al Ghul has a certain code of honor, but like mm-hmm. he kidnapped your girlfriend and killed your sidekick's parents and. Like, can't you do something about him? He's in your house. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to kill him because you can't kill him. But, like, you can deliver him to the authorities or at least, you know, at least try. Mm-hmm. I would totally be up for, like, Ra's al Ghul, like, outwits him and escapes. But, like, just unless Batman has already come to that assu- the assumption, like, I'm going to try. He's going to he's going to escape. Let's not even deal with this charade. But it's a right. <laughs> it's a weird Razal Ghul gets off too late in this.
0: Yes, yeah, I think we're we're tough on crime. We're tough on <laughs> yeah, Ra's al Ghul. I, that's yeah. murdering. My
1: my my administration will not stand for Razal al Ghul. He's got a he's got a, got a cool beard, but that doesn't take you very far.
0: Yes, yeah, you're you're just saying what we're all thinking. <laughs> Um. So, turning to the last issue of Batman Odyssey Volume Two, we start off with uh, Batman is running through sewer tunnels, um, somewhat mysteriously but urgently. Robin, Jamroth, Talia, and others take down the Sensei's last remaining henchmen, and Batman is preparing to fight the Sensei one and one on one so sensei and batman have another martial arts battle while batman's allies in rogue gallery uh who are in their cells so i guess this is in that arkham chamber that's secret wing of the the asylum yeah um yeah okay so they're they're watching this battle in the middle of their fight we flash back to sensei and batman's earlier fight where they strike some kind of mysterious bargain uh, meanwhile, Batman gets the sensei in a chokehold, tells Robin to toss him a gun from his cape, and in front of everybody, Batman shoots the sensei multiple times throughout through the chest, um, or so it appears. While he's doing this, Batman yells to his ro- rogues gallery that this is what's going to happen to them if they ever take another life. We cut to Bruce Wayne meeting with two parents who are adopting a baby boy, and Bruce Wayne presents them with the child and we see that it's a little baby version of the sensei so we flash back to a scene that reveals or implies batman pretended to kill the sensei in front of everyone but actually batman found a magical liquid in the underworld that let him turn the sensei back into a baby so batman and superman talk about how uh batman thinks the sensei is going to grow up to be a decent person because he's going to be raised in a loving environment by this random couple who are, um, gifted with this, this child. And then at the end, Bruce Wayne tells Superman, you know, you can't publish what we talked about until I'm dead or maybe ever. And Superman agrees. And then heroically flies off in the last panel. And that's how we end the series. Okay. So we get another, <laughs> Death fake out where the sensei this time gets shot uh i did i did kind of like this this moment there where he's he's faking this but he's yelling at his rogues gallery that if they take another life he's gonna batman's gonna hunt them down and kill them um
1: he's, he says i will kill you dead
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Very clear, I, no
1: uncertain terms. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So I did like that uh, there is kind of a shift in the status quo in that sense. Um, with that issue of, you know, should Batman kill or not? That Adams is, is kind of grappling with. Um, so I, I liked it for that moment. It's an interesting solution. And it's actually something it's one thing that
1: sort of takes away from it maybe is that um so this was published in twenty eleven, twenty twelve. Uh the Dark Knight, just uh three to four years earlier, had already sort of tackled a lot of the same ground, talking about there's that moment in the Dark Knight where Eric Roberts is like, We all know that you don't kill people, so you don't have any power over us. Um and then at the end, Batman allows um it to be believed that he kills Harvey Dent, um, sort of as to, you know, to take the fall or to like build his rep in that way. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting idea, like, for a hook, the idea that, like, I will let this guy, you know, I'll pretend to kill somebody and then criminals won't know what's up. One like It's similar to, like, one imagines that, you know, Clark Kent occasionally gets Martian Manhunter to be Superman and, like, they appear in the same place just to keep up appearances. Like, every couple of months they do this, you know, just like, oh, hey, Clark Kent and Superman in the same room. And then, like, so, like, maybe, like, it would be make sense if Batman periodically fake murders some criminal like, <laughs> I guess, to keep up keep up the illusion
0: mm-hmm. yeah i can just imagine him like planning that out in his in his calendar he's like okay it's <laughs> been a couple of months i have to fake murder a criminal this tuesday <laughs> and like it doesn't seem like it has to, it would have
1: to be the sensei like i get that it's sort of a convenient like you give me the magical baby formula and mm-hmm. I will pretend to, to die for you. Um, I guess, I guess the advantage of that is that, like, you're not gonna see if he hires random criminal X to do this, you're gonna see him, even if he skips town, you're gonna see him in Cleveland, like, two weeks later or whatever. Here it's like the sensei's gone. There's no evidence of that he's still around, I guess, but
0: it's a, it's an interesting twist. Uh, at the, at the end, we get, A little bit more of the the Clark Kent and Batman uh, conversation. What did you What did you think of that final panel where we get Superman flying away towards towards the reader? Uh, Neil Adams Superman is always appreciated. Um, I kind of
1: think it was sort of funny on the on the previous page. There was something about Clark Kent puts on like an old time reporter's hat, like you would have seen him wear in a '40s comic. And says it's an Adams hat, and I did not know oh. that was a. Is it, I guess that's like an in joke, right? Because Neil Adams, and it's an Adams hat. Yeah, and in the in the logic of like a modern day Superman, he wouldn't have been alive in a time where reporters wore hats, you know, outside. So like this is a, like, I kind of like the idea of Clark Kent being kind of like a purposefully retro dude.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I want to I wear this old felt hat. That's cool. It's...
0: Yeah, I, I thought. If Neil Adams wants to have like his last major DC project end with with like an excuse to have Superman soaring off heroically, it's like I'm perfectly fine with that too.
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna begrudge it.
0: Yeah, it, it just seems like a nice little send off for himself. But otherwise,
1: yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about this issue specifically because it's sort of it's all really about like the plot ticking its way through and finding out what happened in that. You know and that flashback to the to the sensei fight and it is weird that in the moment of the fight when they're having the fight at arkham asylum that batman seems to is treating it like it's a real fight but they they must have worked this out ahead of time right <laughs> like
0: yeah we is get this... his inner monologue right
1: yeah and he's like doing some stuff about like you know where is he like what move would he use like he's treating this like a serious thing mm-hmm so like, is this, is this like a weird sparring thing? Like this will be fun before the sensei reverts to childhood and is gone forever. It would be a lot of fun for me to like, see if I could take the sensei at full blast. Hmm. But yeah. Or, but, but then again, it's like, is it that? Cause that's a somewhat fanciful thing I'm reading into it. Or is it just like Adams forgot or th- was hoping that you wouldn't notice? Yeah. Cause it, it would, it would undercut the dr- the drama of the fake out for Band to be like okay, just as we planned, right?
0: You know, but yeah, I I think again it's one of those cases that you you mentioned this last or even this episode where if we had less dialogue and it had just been played with the visuals. Mm-hmm. It probably could have been just as successful or more successful. Yeah, definitely. Should we talk about the the story as a whole? Sure. So I think we alluded to this a few times, um, maybe tonight and, and in the previous episode. Um, and I know you'd read some stuff about the critical reception of this. And I'd, I'd read stuff when it first came out um, and I knew it was pretty much universally panned. So I'm wondering... How did it live up to your expectations? Was it better than you were expecting? Was it worse? Um, was it surprising or so I had,
1: I had heard some 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 reviewers say like one of those like so bad that it's good things, you know? And I was sort of feeling that in volume one where like this is totally weird and they're having an argument about whether or not hydrogen explodes And this weird back and forth stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is sort of fun. This is wacky. But like, honestly, like volume two, I found this super tedious, like all the, all the underworld stuff. It was like, there's individual moments that are fun. Like, oh, hey, I'm in the library of Alexandria or there's the cool Cyclops or there's the, you know, the, the jazz wizards again. But yeah, actually like as a whole, like in in something like where like you're talking about like the the gnome prince and king and their like thing and part of this is because like my personal tastes don't tend towards fantasy so when i when you get something like that where it's the you know game of thrones kind of thing i'm just personally not super interested yeah um but yeah like it's it went from like this is this is bad to hey this is actually kind of fun how wacky this is and it's like this is so wacky and nonsensical that like i'm not having fun reading it anymore and the 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 volume two here was definitely a slog for me personally
0: yeah yeah i I agree i thought the first half i think maybe was actually a little bit worse than i was expecting just in terms (laughs) of not being able to follow certain developments and there were those moments where you're like as you said there were uh those so bad they're good kind of moments and just absurd things and really weird choices, which which makes up for it a little bit. But it was pretty much a, a slog. There was just so much unnecessary detail, like you mentioned, with the the gnome king and prince. Uh, just one, probably ten too many plot twists. <laughs> I, I also am one of those people who uh, I like... I tend to be a fan of fantasy, but I'm I'm one of those people where I like to keep my my f- food separate on my dinner plate. Right. So I don't like my Batman stories really to touch the weird pulp fantasy sci-fi kind of stories. Um, and but I I totally understand that that's that seems to be what Neil Adams was passionate about, and I think. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of that passion comes through and we can talk about maybe things that were effective about this, but it just, I don't know. It's something about the themes he's working with and then to take it into this completely unreal environment as kind of the place to explore those themes. Um, So, yeah, so
1: I can, I can imagine like a story where, um, Batman has to think about his methods and whether or not he should kill in sort of escalation, which, again, is sort of the plot of The Dark Knight, the themes of that movie to, to some extent. And I can see a story that's, you know, a big, wacky, fun time if Batman goes into the center of the Earth and there's Neanderthals and dinosaurs and trolls and a cyclops and, you know, having a big, you know, sort of, crazy anything goes adventure when you staple the two of those together it's sort of weird and i guess that it makes some kind of thematic sense because you know the underworld has always been in the literary sense like where you go to be changed um like a joseph campbell kind of thing right mm-hmm. but yeah i i don't know that batman is changed at the end of it he's he goes in saying, I can't kill anybody. And he comes out saying, I can't kill anybody, but it might not be a bad idea. If once in a while, maybe I pretend to kill somebody to keep up appearances.
0: Yeah. I think if you were to take those two stories, like you said, you'd have to have and staple them together in any kind of successful way. I think Grant Morrison and his run does a little bit better job of that. Um, or I guess a pretty good job of tackling some of the more gritty elements alongside some of the, these crazier elements. Um, I think the main thing that for me, well, the, separates them in terms of their approach is I think the tone is a little bit more consistent with with Morrison.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he's just he's a better writer. I mean, Neil Adams is an artist first and foremost, and he can write when he has to. He's sort of a natural dialogue. And thinking about Neil Adams writing on this. It's like, there's not like one thing that you can point to, you know, like it's like, so the plot is weird and overstuffed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's executed in a kind of a confusing, inelegant fashion. The dialogue is weird so it's not like you, like you could go in and say like, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll have a different writer punch up the plot or right. punch up the dialogue. It's like, you'd have to like, take it back to formula and like that, you know, like here's your story outline. Like, let's go back and like, let's you know, work through it from the, from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've, I have empathy for the editors who got this assignment because you know, like Neil, Neil Adams, legendary Batman creator, he calls you up and says, "Hey, I want to do a Batman project." And as an editor, you'd be like, "This is, you know, this is a huge coup. Like, of course, you know, you want to do a Batman project. It's going to be about Ra's al Ghul. That's awesome." Uh, so, yeah. I mean, they 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 clearly give him a lot of leeway to do whatever he wants. And then I have to imagine that they started getting pages back, and the art pages, I'm sure, are great. And then you get like script pages back, and it's i I don't know what i'm what I'm looking at, and then it's like do you do you risk pissing off Neil Adams? Mm-hmm. like how badly do you want that art, and I think you really really want that art pretty badly, but yeah, you're just gonna go, yeah, sure, dinosaur man at the center of the earth that's well
0: we'll let it go, <laughs> yeah, and I think like you know at this point, it's kind of the capper on his career, it's pretty much mm-hmm. just let him do whatever. You wants and it's not like we talked about spider-man torment in the first episode and where it seemed like the creator didn't really have any attachment to the characters or the mythology mm. and this just feels like it's you can see how much he's he just loves all the like the minutiae of the batman mythology and loves to throw in all these tropes and his like personal or his scientific pseudo scientific beliefs and all these things and
1: you certainly can't fault him because he brought uh, I mean this is this is a very clear passion project it's and he gave he gave it his all it's just that his all is weird yeah <laughs> i guess at the end of the day
0: uh, and you'd want to talk uh, a little bit more about the art as well
1: when they wanted neil adams to do a batman project They probably would have been happy if he turned in a sketchbook with, you know, a bunch of Batman pinups and a bunch of villain pinups. I mean, I have to imagine that the DC editors were expecting, like, you know, a big epic final showdown between Batman and Ra's al Ghul in exotic environments. And even he might have said, like, yeah, one of them is going to be a dinosaur area. And they're like, Neil Adams draws amazing dinosaurs. I'm Mm going to let this happen. Yeah. (laughs) So, like... Again, I've said this a couple of times, but like if you if you love Neil Adams art and you don't find the modern coloring off putting, as I sometimes do, um, just pick up the book and like flip to some pages and like read through a sequence. Don't worry about what's going on in context or, you know, the dialogue or if anything makes any sense. It's really just I mean, you could do far worse if you're trying to learn like the craft of comic book drawing a superhero drawing yeah just like look at this and like watch how he lays out a fight scene or watch how he lays out a dinosaur you know attack and they're both equally convincing in their way
0: yeah i think even if you were to just take the covers from the issues and (laughs) like try to come up with your own story to explain what the hell is happening just based on (laughs) these images you might arrive at a kind of an interesting place so we, I guess we both are not going to recommend Batman Odyssey in, ter- in terms of story as a whole. Check out the, the art closely, but we do have uh, a couple of recommendations. At the top of the show,
1: we mentioned that Batman Odyssey is a non-canonical story. Um, it's sort of meant to be Neil Adams's sort of epic, I don't want to say like last statement because you never know he might do something else, but it's sort of his grand statement This is the iconic Batman story that, like... if You told me to write the ultimate Batman story, and this is my idea of what the ultimate Batman story is. Um, If you are interested to see this kind of... The same sort of thing, but executed maybe a little more competently, I would actually recommend um, the book All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. Um, It also deals with an iconic Superman drawn from sort of all versions of the character throughout history. So it's not a retro Superman and it's not what Superman in is in action comics, number 1000, whatever. It's sort of, you know, sort of a platonic ideal of what Superman is in this story. Lex Luthor finds a way to poison Superman with solar radiation. And before he dies, Superman has to complete 12 layers. And this loose sort of story is basically an excuse for him to examine the entire Superman mythos from his relationship with Lois Lane his friendship with Jimmy Olsen, his constant battle to redeem Lex Luthor, his history with Krypton and his own father, um, and his Earth, um, his adopted parents, the Kens on Earth. It's Morrison's grand statement on Superman, uh, sort of a Superman done right. You might think of it as, it rebuilds Superman for the modern day in the same way that I think from Adam's comments about reexamining Superman that this was supposed to do for Batman.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, along the same lines, if you're looking for a Batman story where Batman gets pushed to his limits and and explores how he kind of chooses to adapt to those limits, I would recommend, recommend the series Batman Venom, uh, written by Dennis O'Neill and penciled by Jose Garcia Lopez. It was originally published as Legends of the Dark Knight issues 16 to 20 in the early 90s um you can probably get the digital version of this collection on comiXology easier than if you're trying to find a print copy i was looking on amazon at used copies and i saw them selling for like 100 bucks and up for used copies um but so this story is that it's the first appearance of the drug venom which is a source of the character Bane's strength in the comics and in numerous video games and other stories. Um, the story doesn't include Bane, but it's about the uh, it's about this this drug. And so, it starts off with Batman trying to go and rescue this child who's been kidnapped, and she's underwater, and there's a huge piece of debris or a boulder in the way. Batman tries to lift it and move the boulder um, to get to her but he fails and she ends up dying and as it so happens her her father is the inventor of this super steroid-like drug called venom batman meets the father and uh, because batman feels like he's he's limited in terms of his, his strength and he can't really uh, reach the the levels he needs to, to kind of um, to succeed he starts taking this drug venom and so the story is a neat short exploration of what happens when batman's under the sway of this drug uh, how it starts to change his personality how he interacts with people like commissioner gordon um, and just how he deals with addiction and they're a uh, bunch of scenes of batman under the influence of venom and and also dealing with that addiction that are pretty unsettling um especially for a kind of a mainstream comic in the 90s and it doesn't just go the route of kind of taking batman and turning him into some roided up monster it's um more nuanced but also it has excellent moody art to go along with the the storyline and um i think i mentioned the last podcast pretty much anything with dennis o'neill and batman you're in you're in good hands uh Mm -hmm. yes um, i would uh recommend batman venom all right so that has been our episode of indefensible inc thanks for joining us again i'm ryan mcclure and i'm justin zyduk and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at uh, as Indefensible Inc. Um, our email is indefensibleinc at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. Or suggestions. Or suggestions. Uh, have a good night. Yep. Hope to see you next time. Bye.